Hello everyone, my name is Michael Hickens, and welcome to But I Digress, a podcast about writing, not writing, and everything in between. Hi everyone, and welcome to another edition of But I Digress. And today we're going to be digressing with Jeff Perlman, who is an American sports writer, who has written books about baseball, football, basketball, crazy people like John Rocker, uh, crazy people who are incredibly great like Barry Bonds. Um, He's written about crazily wonderful people like Walter Payton, crazy people like the New York Mets who won in 1986. I could go on and on. Um, So Jeff, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, you've written a ton of books, like nine, I think, from between 2004 and this year. You're also a journalist, which means that you have to write other stuff like regularly. Um, and even if it's all on the same topic, it just seems like that's a lot of work. So can you talk a little bit about the structure of your life? I mean, how you structure your time so that you can, you can do all of this? Well, I mean... My main thing now is books. So I, I also have a podcast and I do freelance, but the main thing is books. So everything in my life is based around that. Um, I know generally I have two years to write a book. So I know, all right, I'm going to take a year and a half and I'm going to report the hell out of this. And then I'll take six months at the end and I'll sit down and try to write every day and write it. And everything else is sort of secondary. Um, the one thing about writing books is you have to be, I mean, I think for the most part, you have to be really disciplined. It's one thing I'm pretty good at is you, because you're your own boss and you don't have an editor screaming at you every every day to get something in. So one of the things I'm very, I'm very focused on is having a, a routine. I know I'm going to write this amount. I'm going to report this amount, structure as much as I can, because otherwise you're just a, you know, dust in the wind kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and but it's funny you talk about the screaming editor, but I don't think they exist anymore that much. I mean, they're no, probably not. Yeah. You know, Lou, Lou Grant, we don't have anymore. I, when, when I started, we had Lou Grant, but... Uh, yeah, but, no Lou Grant anymore. Yeah. And so, you, you you seem to love sports. Anyway, it's what you write about. And you write about it like somebody who has fundamental love for the sport, uh, or for sports. But you write a lot about sort of the dark side of stuff. Players who cheat, institutions that exploit amateur athletes, uh, uh, football league run by egomaniacal owners... Uh, not the NFL. Um, so do you still, and the reason I ask is I think there's a parallel in people talk a lot about to younger writers. They say, oh, you know, keep your writing pure. Don't write for a living unless you, you know, can, can, can write for the, you know, can make a living from the writing you love. But it, I don't know whether that's true or not. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, do you still like, you know, do you still love sports as much as you used to? No, not even close. I don't even, um, I love writing much more than I love sports. And I love nostalgia. Like I don't need, you know, I couldn't tell you. uh, So I grew up a huge New York Jets fan, just as an example. I couldn't tell you five players on the New York Jets nowadays. I know who their quarterback is. I know the, I think I know their coach's name. It's not the same for me, Um, but I love nostalgia. Like I love dipping into, like if you look at most of my books, they're about teams I grew up watching and athletes I grew up watching and loving, not modern athletes. So, you know, I take my son to a couple of basketball games a year, but is the TV on in our house watching games? Almost never, you know? Um, and if I could write, it's hard. One of the things about being, a, I guess, an author in this business is you have success in a certain medium. It's very hard to move on to another. Like I would love to write 
my dream book is actually a biography of Tupac, the rapper. And I'm probably more passionate about music than I am about sports. But it isn't that easy breaking off into a new area when you've had success in one area. So um, I don't know. I don't love sports nearly as much. I mean, when I was a kid, I would sit in front of the TV with a mid in my hand watching the Mets play. I'd right. hold a football under my arm watching the Jets play, pretend I'm Freeman McNeil running down the field. Um, I'm not that guy anymore, but it would be weird if I was. That was 35 years ago. Right. Right. Actually, I wonder why I'm still that guy because I, <laughs> uh, I still have, you know, I still think I can affect the outcome of a game by where I sit or what someone next to me, you know, No, you can. Says. That works. Oh, that does work. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that help. So, like, it's interesting because one of the things I, I was going to that I find about your writing, which is that you, you don't hesitate to um, cast your writing in in, 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 in in political tones or to write about the, poli the political angle mm -hmm. of sports in a way that a lot of sports writers tend to not want to do. Um, and I'm curious why, um, why, and also, um, do you think that, do you think that there's something about sports that makes it um, a, a sort of a compelling moral, does it have a moral gravitas that, you know, other actors in civil society don't have? I don't know. I mean, the reason I write about, the thing is I'm in a good position. I don't work for anyone. Like I write books, I'm self-employed. So if you, if you work for ESPN or SI or Bleacher Report or whoever, you can't necessarily put it out. Oh, I hate Joe Biden or I love Joe Biden or you just can't, you're not allowed because you represent the company and most companies are pretty, uh, when it comes to that sort of thing, cautious. I don't have anyone. And I'm sure I've lost uh, book buyers over the years. I know I have. People are like, I'm never going to buy your book because I'm I'm pretty liberal. And I, I was angry during the Trump years. I'm still angry. And I, I feel like it's my, I think I'm more than just a stupid sports writer, you know? And if I have an opinion, I want to share it. And if you're not going to buy your book, my book, because you love Trump and you hate that I'm dogging on Trump, sorry, man, like, sorry. I But I can live with that. I wouldn't be able to live myself if I was just, if I just stuck to sports, you know, as they say to athletes, I just, it's, uh, it's not who I am. And I'm comfortable having fewer sales and speaking my mind and feeling that way. And, and uh, I think sports is a great media. I think that crossover in sports is pol and politics is huge. Um, you know, racially, culturally, economically, team owners, you know, who are, I always think it's fascinating the number of team owners. Like if you take the NBA, I bet maybe 2% of NBA players voted for Donald Trump, just as an example. I'd say 80% of team owners probably voted for Donald Trump. That's very interesting. You know, like that's really interesting. Um, a large number of NBA players are African-American kids who grew up in low-income areas. I find it interesting how many owners have either ever been to a low-income area, how many owners have are aware of that and actually donate to causes that could help or how many vote against the very players they employ. There's a lot of interesting overlaps that I'm always sort of intrigued by. What, what I find interesting is that, I mean, when we were growing up, I'm, I, I am older than you, but still, uh, you know, Freeman, Neil, Freeman McNeil is a decent frame of reference for, mm -hmm. there was some overlap in our youths. Um, I mean, when you, you think about the athletes that were politically involved that you knew what their politics were, they were generally conservative, or very conservative, you know, whether it's Steve Largent or uh, Roger Staubach, um, there aren't that many, 
but who, the ones that were, you knew they were conservative. And my perspective was, oh, geez, please just keep your mouth shut. I don't want to know what your politics are because I want to enjoy you as an athlete. Um, now, <laughs> I feel very differently because a lot of athletes are more outspokenly uh, liberal, which is, you know, we, so we, we, we share that political uh, perspective. Well, I don't, I just want to say, I don't, I don't totally disagree, uh, agree with the premise. Like, I think there were a lot of, I mean, Kareem was very, very liberal and outspoken. Jim Brown was very outspoken. Muhammad Ali obviously was outspoken. There, there weren't a lack for him. And I also want to say, like, I'm a fan of athletes using their podium um, either way. Like, uh, Kurt Schilling is a good example. Kurt Schilling is an arts conservative Trump supporter. Right. I hate Kurt Schilling's opinions. I disagree with him so strongly I couldn't anymore. But I have no problem with him using that platform to speak out. I kind of admire the fact that he's speaking out. Like, I don't agree with him, but I'm cool with him speaking out. I think he's disgusting. I just think I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. No, I hear you. I, I, you're, you're, it's the old, um, I, 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 what is it? I passionately disagree with what you say. Like, and I, I would die to defend your right, right to say so, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's interesting that, um, well, you know, uh, I think that the, you, you're right. There are a lot of, there were athletes, I mean, and, uh, Bill Russell's another who comes to mind, but I think that they were more, uh, conservative athletes, um, in the past, or at least who spoke out. And I think that they were supported by the powers that be because the powers that be like that. And when it turns out that, um, you know, rich basketball players are still uh, leftist, then all of a sudden they're supposed to just, you know, shut up and keep dribbling, you know. Right. Um, I agree. I but um, you said that, uh, you know, having sort of your typecast as a sports writer um, and it's hard to break out. Why, why is that? Well, if your book sells, do people like that you you know, you wrote a book about the 90s Dallas Cowboys and it was a bestseller. You know what your next book should be? It should be a biography of uh, Gerald Ford. Like nobody's saying that, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, which I would love to write, by the way. Um, but nobody's saying that. So it's just, you know, it's like anything. If, if uh, tomorrow um, Taylor Swift was like, I'm going to, you know what, my next album, I'm going to, I'm going to put out a, a bluegrass album. Her label would be like, wait, Really? You know, is that really that I'm going to do a hip hop album, Taylor Swift. My next album is going to be me rapping. You really well, want to I mean, go that way? Uh, you know, uh, I think that there are a lot of examples of people doing just that, right? Whether it's Springsteen uh, sure. or Dylan. Well, I'm not Springsteen or Dylan, man. I'm a freaking struggling book writer. So if I get to that level, maybe I can. If I'm Stephen, if you're Stephen King and you're like, I'm going to do my next book on so and so, that's one thing. I'm not Stephen King. I'm just not. I don't have that reputation. I'm not as big as him, even close. So I don't have the leeway yet. Maybe one day I will. So um, do you, let me start, let me back up a little bit. Um, you you started uh, as a sort of a, a daily sports writer. Mm -hmm. At what point did you think, I have material here for a book. And at, did you at that point go find an agent or did you shop yourself? yourself did how did how did that work no i was a i was a writer at a newspaper for years then i was a writer at sports illustrated then uh i had an agent approach me named susan reed and say have you ever 
have you ever thought about writing books? And I was like, not really. And she said, what about a book about the 86 Mets? And I, I grew up in New York. I was 13, 14 that summer. And I was like, man, that would be fun. And somehow she got me a deal. And that was actually it. Like I didn't have any, I didn't have any aspirations of being an author. I never even thought of it really. And then this woman approached me and then I wrote that book and I loved it. And I wrote another book and loved it. And I wrote another book and loved it. And I really love the, um, I love that they leave you alone for two years. And I love that you get to really focus, hyper-focus on a subject and dissect it and dig and dig and dig. Like that's kind of my love. So um, I never saw it coming. I thought it was going to be, I honestly thought once I got to Sports Illustrated in 1996, I thought this is, this is my life. This is a life I've always wanted. I want to be a sports writer. And I only stayed there about five years and I just kind of got tired of it. I started writing books. I just got lucky. People bought them. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say you got lucky entirely. I mean, there's it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of luck. It really is. I mean, I always, I don't like people when people say you're self-made or something. I think my parents put me through college. My parents paid for my college education. I didn't have any bills coming out of college. My parents loaned me a car for my summer internship in Champaign-Urbana, Urbana, Illinois. And then the next summer for another summer internship in Nashville. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like I got, I was kind of born on third base in a lot of ways. Like I just was, I, I was always supported. And when I told my parents, I want to be a writer. They were very supportive about it. Um, I went to a good college, University of Delaware, where they had a really good journalism program. I was able to afford to go there. Just, you know, I work hard, but I'm, I'm aware that there have been a lot of breaks that have gone my way. I get that. And it's refreshing to hear uh, someone, someone talk about that. Um, at what point did you know that you wanted to be a writer? I was in high school. I went to Mayo Pack High School in Mayo Pack, New York. And I, uh, I wrote for the Mayo Pack High School Chieftain, the student newspaper. And um, I wrote a story about uh, cheerleading, sport or activity. And I decided it wasn't a sport, it was an activity. And I wrote this essay. And I was just this nerdy kid, not nerdy, but I was, you know, I was a good runner. I was a high school runner. And I wrote this story about it. And uh, I remember the paper came out and the next day, all these cheerleaders are yelling at me. They're all surrounding me, yelling at me. And it was like the day before the football game. So they're all wearing their like short skirts and their hair is all done and perfume. And, and I'm just this like horny 16 year old kid. <laughs> and all the cheerleaders are yelling at me. And all I did was, they're paying attention to me. And all I did was write a column about sport or activity. I think that was a moment where I realized, now I'm not saying those are, uh, Particularly, you know, it's not it's not the most admirable reason to be a sports writer, but I think at that moment, I saw it as like, oh, people pay attention to you, like you write things and people you stand out and people notice you, and that's not why I do it now, but that was definitely a draw when I was a, a young kid. What is it? Why why is it that you do it now? I mean, I I really, um, I guess like I said, I really love the dig. I love the deep dive into something, and I like. Um, you know, I like starting it with journalism. What's cool with books, especially as you started something like I, I'm working on a, my next book is a Bo Jackson biography. And you start with this blank page, basically. And you add all this information, you add all this information and you're taking it from childhood to where he is now. And just the dissecting of it all. It's just really fascinating to me. It really is. It really fascinates me. And it's torturous and it beats and it sucks a lot of the times but it's also gratifying and fulfilling and, and not for nothing. I have a kid who's a, a sophomore in high school and another daughter who's a freshman in college. And thanks to journalism and book writing, I've been home for all of it. 
Mm -hmm. I've actually been here for all of it. I never viewed that as a byproduct when I started and my daughter was very little, but like, I'm the dad who never missed a parent-teacher conference. And I'm the dad who was at all the school recitals and sporting events and all that stuff. And that's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of this glorious profession I picked, you know? So I got to do that. So um, when you were a, a, a journalist, you, and you probably, you were, you had, you had, a, you, were, you, were, you had press passes or you had, mm -hmm. you had a way in, right? Many, yeah. Um, as a, you know, the term working journalist, right? Now, do you still have that, or do you have, uh, you know, do those credentials lapse? And then, how do you replace that in terms of the access that you can get? Well, I don't cover games anymore. So, like the press credentials, you're, when I was a baseball writer at SI, Major League Baseball would give you a press pass. They actually used to give you this universal pass, and you can get into every stadium for any game in the country, which is awesome. Um, I don't have anymore. But if I need to interview someone with the Angels, I just call the Angels up and I say, "Hey, my name's Jeff Perlman." And I've written, I mean, I know a lot of people in sports now and I've written enough books that I have, I'm not unknown. I'm not saying I'm a star, right. but I'm not unknown. So it's not that hard anymore. I can still, if I need a credential to a game or need to interview a coach, usually I, I find a way, usually. So can you explain the difference between um, an authorized biography and an unauthorized biography? Yeah, because I've never written an authorized one. Authorized one is you do it with the person. So uh, I had a Brett Favre biography. It would, authorized would be Jeff. It would either be an autobiography with me as a ghostwriter, or it'd be with Brett Favre's cooperation. Well, I've never right. had. A, I've had. I've interviewed people, but it's never been where they get X percentage of the money and I get X percentage of the money. It's always been me writing about them. Right. So is it? But is it uniquely about the money, or is it also about the editorial control? Like. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it is about the editorial control. I've never, so I've never written a book where I, I, uh, I get permission from someone to write it. Never. And I don't really want that. Like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I, I think, um, I mean, you get criticisms. People say like, oh, you're just blah, blah, blah. And you're in it for the money. And, or you're, how can you write that without Brett's approval or Bo's approval or whoever's approval? And I always say like, as a guy who loves biographies, um, there are a million JFK biographies. Right? There are a million Abraham Lincoln biographies, people who are alive. Forget it, Donald Trump biographies and Barack Obama biographies and biographies or tons of biographies. And those are our history books. And that's how we learn about people. And I just think it's important. And I think sports is a big part of American history. So if I'm writing a biography of Brett Favre and he's not cooperating, I think it's fair. As long as the book is fair, I think I have no, I don't think it's, I grew up reading these books. I love these books. Yeah. No, I, and well, I mean, I think, um, I, can't tell you the number of you know as told to books that I read when I was a kid yeah um so yeah I mean they're but I think that they were mostly you know authorized um yeah. and you know I, I think one of my formative experiences was reading Ball Four by by Jim Bouton which in a weird way is the ultimate you know unauthorized biography of professional baseball True, but he wrote it so it was authorized. It's just unauthorized about nobody around him wanted him writing the book. Correct. So, yeah, yeah right. they wanted to beat him up, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, great book. Obviously a great book. Um, yeah, it's, it may be the only sports book that like, I can think of that like, cracked me up yeah. um, on a regular basis. Good. Yeah. Um, so did you have any like role models growing up, literary uh, role models? Um, I mean, my biggest one was my dad, actually. My dad, so my dad is, uh, his name is Stanley Hers, 
and um, he was a uh, he ran his own company, an executive search firm. Uh, what some people call a headhunter. Mm -hmm. And in 1986, he wrote a book called Conquering the Corporate Career. It was a business book. And it was based off of columns he used to write for the local newspaper. And he wrote this book and he self-published it. He made up a publishing company named Kimberly Press. And he published the book on his own. And he printed up a thousand copies, I think. And the local Walden books in the mall, the Jefferson Valley Mall, had his book. And we used to go into the store and it, it would be in the back in the business section. And when no one was looking, we'd move it to the front in the bestseller <laughs> section, put in the bestseller section. And I just remember um, how dazzled I was by my dad writing this book and this book being out there and seeing it in the store. And it blew my mind. And I still, I love the book, actually. I love the book. It's, you can, there are probably 200 copies left in the world. Um, but it, it really, that, all that experience, seeing my, bringing the cardboard box with my dad's books, two Walden books, moving the book around in the bookstore, just seeing his name, seeing it was dedicated to me, my, my brother and my mom, all that stuff really stuck with me in a major way. And that uh, number one by far would be my father. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious a little bit about the, the, the um, your, I think it's the, the picture on your, on your Twitter uh, avatar. Um, you're sitting at a desk wearing what looks like a, I, I, looks like a Dodgers baseball cap you got an open laptop in front of you, but you're reading a print copy of the New York Times. Um, why did you pick that picture in particular? Is there some symbolism or just Zero. a picture of you? Yeah, I don't even know. No, that was, um, oh, that was from my website. That was, uh, I mean, there are a lot of little, like, if you look closely in that picture, I think my high school newspaper's on there, my college yearbook, a bunch of things. I just had a friend who was a photographer. There's not, I don't have a great story about that photo, except it was fun to do. No, that's, I mean, I, I just, and, it's interesting because your um, your journalism career, um, like maybe flowered, came to its full flower, right? You were talking about being at Sports Illustrated in 1996. Mm. And that's about like um, the last couple of years of print journalism before it gets overwhelmed by, by online. Um, and I'm just, what do you feel about the way that journalism is run as a business? And what do you feel about the way book publishing is run as a business? I mean, I'm not happy with journalism right now in large part. It's a lot of clickbait and how do we get the most clicks and click, 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 click and attention. And uh, I feel like there's been a pull away from long form and from reporting and from detail and it's a bummer. Uh, the book business, I'm actually fairly pleased with. I mean, it survived. There was a lot of fear about what's going to happen and how this is going to work out. It's actually been really good. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I long for the old days. You know, I, I really do. I'm just an old, I'm a dinosaur in a lot of ways. Like I loved Sports Illustrated used to have this amazing office where you would go in and you would discuss ideas and it'd be all these writers and editors around and great greats of the trade. And people don't have that anymore. You know, that's a bummer. It's become a much more isolating business. Everyone works from home, which I get, but it's a bit of a bummer. It's just how it goes, though. And COVID didn't help, obviously. Right, right. Yeah. No, I just was always curious about, I mean, especially, well, I mean, journalism, I've never had any illusions about. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I 
I came home from work. Um, I was still living in the city at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my wife and daughter, was, she was probably in high school. This is like the early 2000s. Watching a rerun of like, it was like the 50th anniversary of the Dick Van Dyke show. So, okay. so I walk in and it's like, you know, Dick Van Dyke sitting on the couch next to Mary Tyler Moore. And there's a magazine writer in the living room um, about to interview him for some reason, right? He, and, and he says, and Dick Van Dyke says to the guy, like, who are you with again? And the guy says, oh, I'm with, you know, Look Magazine, but actually last year it was called this other thing. And a couple of years ago, I, you know, I worked for this other outfit, but you know, the, the, the industry is going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm thinking, you know, and that's a laugh line, right? And I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm watching this, <laughs> I'm thinking, holy crap. It's like, this is, they, they, they were complaining about the state of the magazine industry at the time that we think of it as the golden age. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's never been any, I, I mean, this is the thing to me, it's like, it's half art and not-for-profit or public service, right? It's like this, whether you're talking about journalism or books, it's supposed to serve some other purpose than business, but it's also run like a business, but like a really bad business where you're making things without knowing whether anyone wants it. You, you know, it's like, it doesn't know what it wants to be. And it's always struck me as, uh, you know, not a good, not a good place to be. I guess you're right. I don't really know. Yeah, makes sense. I don't know. I mean, uh, you're the one who's making money, right? As a, as a book writer. So you're, uh, you know, um, your opinions, what I'm interested in. I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I mean, I, uh, it's always evolving. It's always changing. They're trying to figure it out. I think you're right. We always look back at whatever our heyday was. And we always think that was the glorious day. And Maybe it wasn't. I mean, there, there are more opportunities to write now than ever before. That's 100% true. There are more, when I was coming up, you really had to, bust, like it's Sports Illustrated as an example. You really had to bust your ass to get in the magazine and have a byline. And, and nowadays you get more, much more opportunity younger. So that's a good thing. If you're a young up and coming journalist, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, I mean, newspapers are dying in large parts, you know, certainly print. But I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a great answer to be honest with you. But again, that's the the thing I like about that picture. You're, you've got your laptop up, but you got a print copy of the Times. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship to physical books? Do you do you dog ear them? Do you do you I treat do. them like you know? Hundred percent. Dog ear, write in them, make notes in them, uh, throw them around. Yeah, very physical relationship with books, actually. Very. And the last question I have, I ask, I, I ask this. Um, of everybody, if you hadn't become a writer, what would have been your dream vocation? A uh, firefighter. I actually, several years ago, I took uh, I took the test to be a firefighter in New Rochelle, New York, and I was way too old and out of my depth. But I always thought that was such an admirable profession. So I think if I if I were not a a writer, I could I could see being a firefighter. Maybe not a very good one though. I'm Michael Hickens, and you've been listening to But I Digress, a podcast about writing, not writing, and everything in between. If you want to know more about me, please visit my website at www.michaelmissing.com.